Welcome to the Enable Me podcast series, where we bring together stroke survivors, health professionals and researchers providing you with practical advice. To enable you on your journey to reclaim your life after stroke. You can join the conversation at enableme.org.au. This series is presented by Australia's National Stroke Foundation. The Stroke Foundation recently released its updated clinical guidelines for stroke management. These guidelines help health professionals to deliver the most up-to-date, evidence-based stroke treatment. But what do the guidelines say and what do they mean for stroke survivors and their carers? Well, to find out, I am talking to physiotherapist Dr. Coralie English. Coralie is a researcher at the University of Newcastle and the Hunter Medical Research Institute, and she was co-chair of the Content Development Working Group for the Clinical Guidelines. Thanks for speaking to us, Coralie. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. Now, I mentioned that you were the co-chair for the Guidelines Development. I should mention that was along with Associate Professor Bruce Campbell from the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Like, it sounds like a very important role, but what did it involve from your point of view? The role was one of overseeing the content development of the guidelines. So the the project of rewriting the guidelines was a massive one, as you can appreciate, and was supported by a team of people at the Stroke Foundation from the project perspective and also a huge number of people from around Australia from the clinical perspective. The role that Bruce and I took on as uh, co-chairs of the content development was to ensure that the processes were followed and to gather and, and lead groups of people around Australia who helped to review the evidence pull out the data about what evidence we had for particular clinical questions and to, on that basis, write our particular guidelines. And this year, our or this update of the guidelines is far more detailed than our previous ones in that we have readily available all the details of the evidence underpinning each recommendation, but also probably more importantly, easy to read summaries of that information and practical guidance about how best to implement them in the clinical setting. So Bruce and my role was to oversee all of that across all the different questions and different parts of the guidelines from pre-hospital care all the way through to secondary stroke prevention and living with the effects of stroke. Uh, so our role was to oversee all of those and ensure that the processes were followed and that the content was appropriate and easy to digest. Okay, now you mentioned going through various questions and all the evidence involved. So I understand it is really a matter of taking the, the research evidence and turning it into recommendations for health professionals. How does how does that process actually work though? Uh, so it's a very involved process, as you can appreciate. It starts with very comprehensive searching of all the published evidence that we have for, for stroke around the world. And that, in, in this update, really actually took us by surprise just how much more evidence in the various aspects of stroke care had been published in the seven years prior to the 2010 guidelines. There's been a huge increase in the research available. The first step is to find all of that research. Uh, pr- prior to that, actually, the first step is to define all the different particular questions we want to know in terms of all the different aspects of stroke care and then to do specific searches for evidence for what we know about, what the effective interventions are for each of those clinical questions. Then it's a process of deciding what the best level of evidence is, what's the most believable piece of evidence in there and then understanding what that means for clinical practice and how that that evidence could be applied uh, to people after stroke. Okay, so what are some of the highlights that have come out of the guidelines then from your point of view? So I've had the responsibility of overseeing the, the rehabilitation side of the guidelines. So that's a bit that I can speak to more authoritatively. But some key highlights were that there was a very, very large uh, rehabilitation trial known as AVERT, a very early rehabilitation trial 
which helped us to understand what people should be doing early after stroke in terms of getting out of bed and getting moving. That one was particularly challenging to write because the outcome of that trial was unexpected in that overall the outcome was if you get people up too early and and work them too hard, it can actually be harmful. So we have some recommendations about not starting rehabilitation too soon, as in less than 24 hours after stroke, but it also gave us some good guidance that for most people, getting up frequently for short bursts of activity after at least 24 hours after stroke is really beneficial. The other key highlight for me is understanding that that more rehabilitation is probably better for people after stroke later. So we're now talking uh, in the days and weeks after stroke. So we now have stronger guidelines and, and better numbers to pin that on so we can guide health professionals as to how much therapy they should be providing for their people after stroke. In the early stages from, from the acute care perspective, uh, the outcome of some really exciting trials in clot retrieval, so that basically means interventions that go into the brain and pull out blood clots if, if, if you've had that type of stroke. We now have good evidence that that procedure is, is really effective, so we have some guidelines around the implementation of that as well, which is a real uh, game changer and can be a life-saving treatment for people after stroke. Okay, I understand that a lot of that work on that um, clot retrieval, like you mentioned, that was done here in Australia, and I think your colleague Bruce Campbell was involved in some of that research. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Yes. And that's really the face of stroke trials, both in the early stages and in rehabilitation, is we're really moving towards research that's been done on the international stage. So there's a lot more collaboration and teamwork to answer these really big questions. They often can't be answered in one trial alone or at one centre. So there's a lot more trials that are now national and international that Australian researchers are part of, but we're also very much world leaders in setting up these trials and running them and getting our partners internationally to get, be involved as well. Now, you are a researcher yourself. Could you just give us an idea of what things you look at and how that fits into the sort of stuff that's covered in the guidelines? My particular interest is in physical activity and also how much practice and how much rehabilitation people get after stroke. So my early PhD and early postdoc work focused on the use of circuit class therapy in, re- in stroke rehabilitation. So essentially that means the idea of for people receiving physiotherapy services after stroke who need to improve their walking, that rather than having just a one appointment with a physio each day in rehab, that instead they spend longer time in, in group settings to get to enable more practice of the things that they need to do to get better. So those studies are directly referenced in the guidelines and a part of the recommendation about providing as much therapy as possible to people after stroke when they're in inpatient rehabilitation facilities. The other work that I've branched out into since then and has been supported by various Stroke Foundation research funding through the years as well is focusing on the impact of exercise for people after stroke and how that can help in secondary prevention and also the effects of sitting down for too long every day that we all know is bad for our health and there's potential benefits for people after stroke if they can't get up and exercise at a really intensive level about whether they might be able to just reduce some of their sitting time each day and replace that with a little bit of light intensity activity. So that's the sort of work I'm focusing on the moment. And and really it can be summed up in terms of how much and what type of exercise people need to do after stroke and are there benefits of doing a little bit. We tend to focus on the big guidelines of you should be doing 30 minutes of exercise most days of the week, which is really hard for most of us and even harder, of course, for people after stroke. So I'm really interested to know whether little amounts of exercise and perhaps little amounts of less intense exercise may be important for people to reduce their stroke risk and secondary stroke risk and might be more achievable for them as well. Well, it's great to hear that research like that is, I guess, still going and that we can, there were 
constantly going to be seeing, I suppose, new improvements in, in stroke treatment. Um, with the current guidelines, though, do you think that will lead to some, some big improvements and big changes to people? Yes, absolutely. And I think that the next challenge, so while this was a massive project and two years of work with countless hours of, of voluntary hours from people all around Australia who contributed to the guidelines, it's really just the first step. And the next big push is to how we can implement these guidelines in a clinical setting, what practice changes need to happen so that the implementation is optimal and that is no mean feat at all. The other thing that's really important to mention that we really need to be pushing for is to be able to move to something called living guidelines. So it was seven years between the previous Stroke Foundation clinical guidelines and these updates and it was a, a, you know, a huge job to, to do that. The way that we've done it this time in using the Magic App platform and having them online gives us the functionality to move to what's called living guidelines so that we can update our recommendations as new evidence comes out, which is happening at a faster and faster rate. But to do that, we need support and funding from the, for the Stroke Foundation to, to move towards that. So I think that's a really important thing that we should all be aware of and look for opportunities for because that's really going to be the thing that makes the biggest difference in, in making sure everybody who has a stroke has the best possible care based on the best up-to-date evidence at any point in time. I guess it's a good message, I suppose, as you said, support the Stroke Foundation, but also people aware of this and that the importance, say, for their politicians to back, maybe fund some of these guidelines as well. Is there other things that people should be doing, I suppose, in response to the guidelines? I mean, I mean, it is, it is something clearly that we want the health professionals out there to pick them up and to adopt them. But what about people like stroke survivors and carers? Is it worth them being across what the guidelines recommend or is it just a matter of making sure that they they have health professionals who, who do follow them? Look, I think both is really important. I think the, the guidelines in the format that they're written have been directed at health professionals. They've been, they're about what, what we're trying to inform people is the best evidence of, of what the sort of treatments and interventions they should be providing for, for their clients and the people that they're seeing who've had a stroke. But it, it's, we, we had a, um, a, a consumer representative as part of the guideline development, which was really, really important. And, and that needs to continue, that input of are we asking the right questions of the evidence? Uh, is there things... We couldn't include everything we wanted to in these guidelines. As it is, we have 250 recommendations. So there were some things that we couldn't specifically include that if we can move to living guidelines, we'll be able to add to. So it's important for the stroke survivor community to let us know if there's uh, guidelines that are missing, that they want to know the evidence for particular things but also that they're because the guidelines are online and they're freely available of course we encourage people who've had a stroke in their family and carers to have a look at the relevant sections for them and to then be able to have that discussion with the health professionals working with them about what the guidelines say and what interventions and, and treatments they're receiving to become informed consumers of healthcare as well and that I think will help to drive the implementation of these guidelines into best practice. Fantastic uh, well that is I guess a good message and something of course that we will support we will be putting the uh, links to the more information the clinical guidelines up on enableme.org.au and of course encouraging health professionals to access the full information including all the research at our website informme.org.au thank you once again for talking to us Coralie and uh, look it is a massive job and I think you've done excellent work there Thank you very much. It was great talking with you. Fantastic. That was physiotherapist and guidelines co-chair, Dr. Coralie English. Just remember that stroke survivors and carers, if they want to find out more about any other topic, they can also call Stroke Line on 1-800-787-653 or 1-800-STROKE, or they can ask a question through Enable Me and get a response from health professionals and other stroke survivors. And that is it for our podcast today. If you like what you've heard, please give us a good rating and review on iTunes so that you can help other people to find our podcast. Thank you once again to our guests. Dr. Coralie English.
that's all for today's Enable Me podcast. You can find out more on this topic and continue the conversation or listen to other podcasts in the series at our website, enableme.org.au. It's free to sign up and you can talk with thousands of other stroke survivors, carers and supporters. We also have health professionals from StrokeLine who can answer your questions and give evidence-based advice. The advice given here is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your health professional. If you would like to suggest a topic or provide feedback, contact us via the website enableme.org.au. The music in this podcast is Signs by stroke survivor Antonio Ianella and his band, The Lion Tamers. It was recorded at Antonio's studio, which you can find out more about at www.studio499. That's F-O-U-R-99.org.au. This Enable Me podcast series is produced by the National Stroke Foundation in Australia. Keeps burning, people rushing around. But never see